Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Good morning. I'm telling you, the Lord really loves this place because uh, it was over a month ago that they asked me to preach, and immediately God began to give me a direction and show me something in Scripture. But he kind of did it backwards because he had me just sort of looking at this portion of Scripture, and then he built the message as I just kind of meditated and prayed and and read it. And um, so the message is, he gave me a little title here, Positioning Your Positioning our hearts for God's timing, okay? And isn't it a, the case that oftentimes the thing we love the most is the thing that we're waiting for the longest? You know, the thing we're longing for, the thing that we are hoping for. And so in, in our lives, there are things in the temporal that we're hoping for. We're, you know, hoping things will be fulfilled in our lives, in our families, Um, in our nation, in the city. Um, But the scripture says something interesting in 1 Peter 1.13. It says, set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed when Christ appears. Now, that's a great scripture because it's like an anchor, right? It says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It enters into the most holy place where the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. So, That's an anchor scripture because we're hoping for a lot of things to work out in life. And there's new hopes that come in and there's old hopes that die. But ultimately, if if our hope is firmly upon the grace to be revealed when Christ returns, then if our hopes don't quite play out the way we want them to in this life, we're not going to be shaken, okay? Because we'll still have that main hope. So I want to begin the preaching by just, um, begin this message by just um, just talking a little bit, just a short little testimony about something that happened to me. So about three years ago, I was in a completely different place than I am today. I was in a mess. I, I owned a home in Georgia. I had been out of work for months trying to get a job. There were relational problems. There were so many problems going on in my life that I was literally overwhelmed. And I was just pressing through each day. And I know some of you have gone through this kind of thing in your life, where, where everything just seems to be disintegrating, and you're praying, and you're hoping, and you're trying. And I was sitting at the kitchen table with my computer, trying to apply for more jobs. And finally, in just a moment of, of frustration, I just said, God, what is going on? And I heard behind me. The moment I had said that, I heard that. So I said, what was that? And I looked back, and I saw one of my cats on the mantle. And I walked over there. I walked over to the mantle. And, and he had knocked, the cat had knocked over this plaque. And when I lifted up the plaque, it said... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So there's no way I could deny that that wasn't the Lord speaking to me. 
But on the one hand, it was still a little frustrating for me because it's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted God to, 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 say what, to explain to me what's going on, what's happening here. But there's an interesting thing about this scripture. Oftentimes, you, we can read a scripture and uh, we, get so, we draw something from it or we think we understand it. And then as God takes us through a life experience with a scripture, suddenly we see it in a different way, in a clearer way. Now, if you listen to this scripture, uh, actually, can we put it up on the board? So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then it goes on to say, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. So it does not say, don't lean on any understanding. It just says, don't lean on your own understanding, because God has an understanding about what's going on in your life. Amen? And there's a way that God can reveal his understanding, and that's through this, his word. Amen? So as we study his word, as we look at examples in the Old Testament, God can give us an idea of why certain things are unfolding the way they are. It might not be specifics, but he can give us an idea. So the scripture in Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge is, I'm, I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when we want understanding, we need knowledge of the Holy One. And where do we get that? We get that from God's Word. So I love to use Scripture because I believe it really can strengthen us. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 8, 4, and 6 says, Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise in heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and a procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down with misery. So the scripture is telling us there is a proper way to respond to circumstances, even if those circumstances are very, very difficult. So as, as I was listening to, Lord, to the Lord and reading through these scriptures, I kind of heard the Lord say to me, you need a catch line, like a hook line for when you, when you deliver this. And I was like, oh, yeah, so Lord, what, what would be a, a hook line? I didn't get anything really. So a week ago, I went over to here to Vivelle Crepes, and I said, I'm going to have breakfast. I'm going to get coffee. I'm going to take all my notes, and I'm going to start putting them together. So as I started to write the notes, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Lord wanted me to have a catch line. And I'm like, okay, Lord, yeah, what, what would be a good catch line? And at that moment, this is how much the Lord loves you guys. Because this is not for me, this is for you. He wanted to catch your attention. At that moment, the waitress walks up to me and says, are you waiting for anything? And I'm like, oh, no, I got all my food, I got my coffee. She, she stepped away and I went, that's it. That's the, that's the catch, that's the hook line. So I'm going to say it to you guys. Are you waiting for anything? Now, we're all waiting for the return of the Lord, but there are things in your life and some of your lives that you've been waiting a long time for. 
And, it, and when you wait a long time for something, right, it can become either, let me see what, how I worded this, how the Lord gave this to me. Uh, it can become, when you're waiting, either your greatest spiritual springboard or stumbling stone when you're waiting. Because waiting can become a, a trial and it can become a testing of our faith. And God may have, you may have felt God's promised something for your life a long time ago, and it still hasn't come to pass, and you don't know why. And, um, and there's a struggle with that. So we're going to look at an example from the scriptures of someone who actually handled this as best as she could, and God blessed her. So I'd like you to turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. So I'm just going to read through the first, I think it's like 19 verses. So bear with me, because I just want to give you the essence of this story, and then we'll go back and look at it more in detail. So there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. <laughs> It's a mouthful. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. Okay? But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she, <clears throat> excuse me, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. 
And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So let's take a look at this a little bit more in detail. Because biblical, we can have examples from real life, like I gave the example of the plaque and, and so forth. But the biblical examples, I believe, are best because God knows our hearts better than we do. And he can speak to us through the scriptures. Um, so the history of Hannah, her name means grace. Though she lived in the past over 1,000 B.C., her life is the life, and we can't forget this, of a real person with real-life problems. And when we look at these biblical examples, it's a good idea to, to try to remember that because, you know, we grow up, we hear about Noah and the ark, and, you know, you see the little arks and all these stories, right? But these were real people with real problems. So we don't know why Elkanah, Elkanah had two wives. Penina had children, Hannah had none. But perhaps it was because Hannah was not having children, and it was so important to have an heir in those days that now a second wife was added to the family. And as you know from other families in the Bible, like Jacob, it doesn't usually go too well. <laughs> so once a year, the family and Elkanah and his wives would go up to Shiloh to sacrifice to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. So this was not just some family in Israel. They were uh, descendants of the priesthood, and they were a godly family. It was important to them that they went and worshiped the Lord. Um, he gave portions of the sacrifice to Penina and to her sons and daughters. And <clears throat> think about this now. So Hannah's not having a child. And this is going on year after year. And this place of offering and sacrifice, which would kind of be the church setting for us, okay, it becomes a very difficult place for Hannah to be. And there are some days when people come to church and it's difficult for them to be in church because they're going through something that nobody else understands. And someone might speak to them and say something like, when that plaque turned over and said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, if a person had said that to me at that time, a, a brother or sister, to be honest with you, I probably would have been upset in my heart and been thinking, what do you think I've been doing all this time? You know, But when the Lord speaks to you and you know it's him, even if he doesn't say what you want him to say, there's a comfort because you know what? He's saying, I know what's going on in your life. I know right where you're at. And when I was putting this message together, that's what I felt in my heart. God knows some of you in here, the difficulties and trials, especially at holiday times, when you're getting together with family members. And what does the world do? They compare. Oh, you're still in that job. Oh, you haven't gotten married yet. Oh, when are you going to have a child? What's, you know, everyone's looking for people to have these worldly milestones. And when they don't happen, and when it's you that they're looking at, it can be very difficult, especially in family situations. So I'm getting real today. Let's get real, okay? Because God's real, okay? <laughs> so picture it. They go up, and 
Hannah has no children again. And it's probably a community of people that know them from going up year after year. And they're looking and they see a new child and they're like, oh, maybe Hannah had a child. And then they find out, no, it was Penina again. Penina had the child. So imagine how she would feel. And then the sacrifices are made and then they take the sacrifice and he gives Hannah a double portion. In the Amplified it said, this embarrassed and grieved her. Because it was almost like, I feel sorry for you, you know? So let me give you more than I'm supposed to give, a little more, you know? So you can imagine that how difficult this could be. And sometimes it can get that difficult for believers in different circumstances. And if it's like that for you in these days, God wants you to know. He knows what's going on. He sees. But... Listen to what it says, though. He gave Hannah a double portion because he loved her. So her husband loved her. But husbands that love their wives don't always get their wives. And they're trying the best they can. And they, don't, they can't relate to what they're going through. He couldn't relate, really, to what she was going through wanting this child. He was like, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Like, I don't, I don't get this. Like, and she was sort of the oddball out. Everyone else is happy and celebrating. This is the sacrifice. You know, this is Christmas time, whatever. And she's sitting at the table, and she, she can't eat. She's depressed. She's hurting. I can feel that pain, you know, when you think about it. And then to make matters worse, Penina, her rival provoked her every time they went up to sacrifice. And it says, because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, we don't have to get into some theological thing about that. But I will say this. The Lord showed me a different way of looking at it. The Lord said to me, it's not that I closed her womb. It's just that I haven't given her a blessing yet because children are a blessing from the Lord. They're not a guarantee from the Lord. And so it is with many of things of God. We're not guaranteed certain blessings that are worldly that we think we're entitled to. You know, he gave us salvation, you know, and anything else is icing on the cake. And God is... God is very loving and merciful to us. And look at all he's given us. It's amazing what he's given us. So our hearts should be grateful. Um, and it said, this went on year after year. She wept and couldn't eat. This is a protracted trial. This is a trial that's dragging on and on. And it's weighing on her. And then he, you know, he says, why don't you eat? Why, why are you downcast? Aren't, you know, aren't I better than 10 sons? But they're there. They're eating and drinking. And of course, Hannah's not eating and drinking again. All of a sudden, Hannah stands up. It's a small scripture, but how significant. It says she stands up. Something moved Hannah to rise up from the table. And it says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. So she gets up from the table, steps aside, weeping bitterly. And she makes this vow. 
saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, and I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So as I was reading this, I was like, Lord, what happened? What happened in this woman's heart that she, she, she had this trial of wanting a child so bad, and suddenly she's saying, Lord, not I deserve this, but Lord, if, if you give me a child, I'll give them right back to you. What is it? What happened in her heart that said to her, it's not mine to begin with. Everything is yours. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, Lord, what happened in her heart? And when I prayed that, the Lord brought me back to verse 8, where Elkina would say to her, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, perhaps God spoke to her heart and just repeated the words of her husband only for himself. Do not I mean more to you than ten sons. And that was like, I heard that in my bed, sipping my coffee in the morning before work, because every morning I've been waking up and the Lord's just been adding to this. And for me, that was like a Holy Spirit mic drop moment because it was like, that makes perfect sense. Like, she was hurting and hurting. But here's the thing, and this, is, this goes back to the title of what the, this message the Lord gave, positioning our hearts for God's timing. Positioning your hearts for God's timing doesn't mean doing it all right, like having a right, perfect attitude as you're going through this major trial. God doesn't expect that. That's not with God. To not, to not give up. Give up and throwing the towel is like, God, God, you're not for me. You're against me. I, I give up. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. No, it's wrestling it out with God. You know, people come to churches and they don't like exactly what's going on. They disagree with something. Nowadays, people just say, well, this church ain't for me. Out the door, you know. Instead of wrestling out with God, with God and God might say, guess what? I have no problem what's going on there, you know, or they might say, well, why don't you pray for those people instead of criticize them? Why don't you try and help, right? So Hannah wasn't like that. Years had gone by. She didn't have a child still, but she's wrestling it out with God. She's not giving, she's still going to the house of God to worship with the family, even though it's the most painful thing for her. But you see, God's doing something different. While that's going on on the outside, God is funneling this desire of hers because God wants it to meet his will. God wants to fulfill this will of a child, but he can't fulfill it until a certain condition is met where his will meets her will in her heart. Okay, so that's what he was he was doing. So the miracle here, you know, you read a book like 1 Samuel, and we can be, this book's about Samuel. So, oh yeah, this first part about Hannah and, the, you know, 
let's move on to the exciting part about Samuel the prophet, right? But in reality, think about it. The real miracle here is what happened in Hannah's heart. And I thought about this. I said, hmm, could it be God could have had anyone give birth to a Samuel? Anybody, right? But he chose Hannah because of he knew what her heart was like. And he wanted to honor Hannah. So if you think about what happened as this played out, a year later, Samuel arrives. And who is this man, Samuel? He becomes one of the greatest prophets that Israel has ever known. And he's born in a difficult time when Israel is they're moving away from the Lord. They're about to say, give us a king. Because we don't want God over us a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. And Samuel has to navigate this thing. Samuel has to wrestle that out with God. But it says about Samuel, none of his words ever fell to the ground. And we have the biblical record of Samuel what a heritage Hannah ended up with. We don't know any of Penina's children's names. And then let's add a little more to this, which is, I found very interesting. Hannah means grace. You know what Penina means? Penina means pearl. And I was like, huh? I was like, how is she a pearl, Lord? <laughs> and he said, because the essence of a pearl is the irritant that builds the pearl. It's the grain of sand that gets into that clamshell that then the clamshell begins to coat that with something called mother of pearl and make a pearl out of it, okay? So I was like, Penina is the irritant, the real pearl. See, outwardly, Penina looked like the pearl. She was having all the children, seemed to be having the favor of God. But in reality, the one who was so irritated by the situation was the one that God was building as his pearl. Amen? It's pretty amazing stuff when you, when you think about it. And I, I saw something else, too. In Revelation, it says the, the, the gates of the city of the kingdom of God in Revelation are made out of giant pearls. So think about this symbolically, right? People, God, God's people who go through extremely different, difficult trials and God brings them through and have to have that pearl nature worked in them, they become doorways for others to enter the kingdom of God. Amen? So I forgot something here, and I just want to do it now before I forget again. I want to give glory to and honor to my pastor who pastored me for over 30 years up in Massachusetts. You don't know him. His name is Jim Hicks. Um, he's in, uh, he lives in Florida now. He's, he's pretty ill. But he might get a chance to hear this message. So, Pastor Jim, I just want to say I love you. Thank you for being such a faithful pastor to me and so many others. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for 
being so dedicated to the word of God and prayer and for all that you built into me. If I do half as good a job as you do preaching, then, then I'll have done something because you did a marvelous job, Pastor Jim. Thank you. So I guess in conclusion, Ecclesiastes 7.8 tells us the end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. And there's one more thing that I, that I feel like was a word for this church and for the people of, the, of this church. Um, so in Revelation, there's a section of scripture that talks about the seals being broken open. And it says when the fifth seal was broken open, and the number five stands for grace, that he saw, John saw, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God under the altar. And they said, how long, Lord, how long before you avenge our blood and, and basically bring your kingdom, right? And it says they were told to wait a little longer and they were given a robe. And God wanted them to wait until all those who were going to be slain for the word of God so he could give them a reward together. And, but the word that the, I felt the Lord gave for us was to look at this symbolically for us who are living here. We're called to be living sacrifices, okay? And so when we're saying to God, how long, God, till you deal with all this stuff going on around us in the world, all this evil, how long before you bring revival? How long, Lord? And the Lord says, wait longer, he's giving us a righteous robe. So he's accrediting the very waiting upon him as righteousness for his namesake. So when, you, when, when it seems like God is doing nothing, or you're not hearing from God, but you're waiting patiently on the Lord, he's, that he is actually crediting that to you as righteousness because it takes more faith sometimes to wait than to be moved by God. Amen. So thank you very much. You got, no, you come up. I just wanted to share this, just the last few seconds of this. Thank you so much, Frederick. <clears throat> I, I, as we get to know each other, you're, you're, you clearly have a teaching gift, but we also heard from a pastor's heart today and a prophetic heart. And so it's a beautiful combination that God's put in you and uh, we're, we're blessed. We receive today your word. So thank you so much. I just had to share that. Yeah. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Frederick. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. I think if we're honest... <laughs> My dad says it often, church is a great place to be honest. If we're honest with our own hearts, with the Lord, with each other even, there are places of barrenness in our soul. Things we see in the life of Jesus that we don't have yet, we don't possess yet. We're not possessing that part of the promised land 
of the heart of Jesus. That could be a hundred different things, but it's a place where you feel barren. Let's just take a moment right now, because Hannah was barren in the natural with children. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, because he's the great revealer. He is light. He will shine a light on the place of barrenness in our soul that God has called to be fruitful. You know, after Hannah gave birth to Samuel and she gave him to the Lord, she gave him right back to the Lord and he became the greatest prophet Israel's ever seen. After that, do y'all know she had many more children? God rewarded her. She became so fruitful and she got to keep those kids. (laughs) She got to raise them herself. She got to experience all the joys of being an amazing mother. So let's, look, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that barren place in our heart. And then let's respond. Let's give that place of barrenness to the Lord. You got something, Kara? Okay, come on up. Let's give that barren place to the Lord. And say, Lord, if you make this place fruitful, I'm going to give the first fruits to you. Whatever that may be, maybe it's a gifting, a calling, a specific ministry assignment that you've never had the courage to step into. It takes courage to step into ministry assignments. (laughs) The Lord's going to reveal it. So let's say, Holy Spirit, just repeat after me, say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal right now the greatest place of barrenness in my soul? Just wait for him to whisper something to you, show you something. Maybe it's a physical condition. You're barren with iron levels in your blood. (laughs) Something specific like that. It makes you weak. You don't have enough energy for the day. Or it could be something in your soul. Your relationship. Maybe you have a barren relationship that God has called to be so fruitful. Husbands and wives. Best friends. He's called you to be fruitful in ministry with that best friend, that running mate. So if he's revealed that place to you, let's pray the prayer of Hannah. (laughs) Let's pray the prayer of Hannah saying, God, if you make this place fruitful, I'm going to give you all the glory, all the fruit. I'm going to give you all this physical strength and energy if you have low iron levels, something like that. I'm going to give you all my strength. I'm going to give you all the glory for making my marriage fruitful again, fruitful in love, that you would fall in love again with your spouse. Whatever it may be, I'm going to give you the first fruits. And guess what? God's going to give you back a lot more on top. (laughs) Whatever you give him, he multiplies. So let's give him that barren place of our soul right now. You know what we're commanded to do, Kara, stay up here. We're commanded to sing in our place of barrenness. So let's just sing 30 seconds a minute. Let's sing in that place of barrenness and say, make it fruitful, God. I'm going to give you this fruit. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, Please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.